This is the bonus episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze a whole heck of a lot of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Now, let's get into it. You probably know why I'm doing this bonus podcast. The second GOP debate on Fox, Donald Duck, expensive curtains, and sleeping with teachers. Let's start it. This is how the debate started last night. And for some of you listening, if you were born in the 70s, brace yourselves. One of the most beloved leaders in our nation's history, Ronald Reagan, the Gipper, the great communicator, America's 40th commander-in-chief. He railed against big government. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help and sought peace through strength. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Forty years after Reagan's landslide re-election, the Republican Party faces critical questions. What does it mean to be a conservative? We fight for the truth. We are not going to worry about what the left and the media say about us. What is the key to a thriving economy? It's innovation, not regulation. America can do for anyone what she's done for me. We will stop the spending. We will stop the borrowing. We will stop the earmarks. What is America's role in the world? We need to build a military fitted to the widening challenges in an ever more dangerous world. Sometimes you avoid war by showing the tough. And the country faces even more challenges. Would Reagan even recognize the country in which we now live? Tonight, candidates seeking the Republican nomination converge in California to chart a new path for the grand old party. Now is the time for choosing. Just a little melodramatic there, Fox. Just a tad, just a tad bit over the top with the music and the... uh... The images, you can't see the images, but it was just like, you know, Ronald Reagan as a god is kind of what they were showing. Um, it's like, okay, I get it. And um, I was born in the 70s, and I should have said at the beginning, and my apologies, that I should have said, <laughs> trigger warning to anyone born in the 70s or older, because you understand, you remember Reagan. Some of you may have loved Reagan. I have a lot of former Republicans, moderate Republicans as listeners. I understand. He's a very, very different man than what the Republican Party has turned into. He would be horrified if he were alive today, especially about Ukraine. Oh my, anybody who grew up in the 80s (laughs) understanding what is going on in Ukraine and how some, some Republicans are handling that situation, Ronald Reagan would just be on fire. He had a deep-seated hatred of the Soviet Union. It was like he hated communism so much. It was like he really thought that they were like going to bring the end of the world. I mean, in reality, what he, you know, most looking back now, all you have to do is wait. And communism was going to collapse because it was an incredibly corrupt system that was broken from the inside. But regardless... He's, he viewed it as like his life's mission to break communism, to destroy it. And I mean, he wasn't alone. The, the Pope in Poland, solidarity in Poland, yada, yada, yada. I'm going on too many tangents. So this is how this thing opens, this hero worship of Reagan. And again, anybody over a certain age is going, what? What? Because you know Reagan would have hated Trump. Hated him. <laughs> Reagan was actually really good at this stuff. Like Reagan didn't come across as a lunatic. He was very, he was the great communicator. I lived in a family that hated his guts um, because my parents were union. I wasn't a fan. I've never been a fan. But Reagan was good at certain things. Like, you got to give it to that him. You know, he was a very good communicator. Same with Bill Clinton. Even if you hate Bill Clinton, and I understand why people do. He was very good at talking to people, very good at working the press, very good at working a lawyer. He was, he's a very intelligent man. So that, all that being said, this is how this thing opens. And I was expecting kind of the same thing we got last time with the crane shot overhead, the diva singing uh, the national anthem, the raucous crowd in an arena. But no, because it was in a much smaller venue, uh, they, they, the diva may have sung. I know they had somebody scheduled to sing the anthem. They didn't include her in the broadcast. 
So then apparently this was the RNC's call. They had a Spanish-speaking moderator from Univision named Ilia Calderon, and she is originally from Colombia. And this woman made Stuart Varney and Dana Perino look like a couple of high school debate kids. <laughs> I used to be a high school debate kid, so I know what I'm speaking of. It was like, what? They just like put a superstar behind that desk. She was charismatic. She was super smart. She was fierce. She just asked your question. She's like, stop it. Get out of my way. I'm going. She, she shut them down. Dana did all right. Stuart Varney, like he was a nothing. He was a non-entity. But honestly, they, she completely upstaged them, which I found funny today because apparently it, it hurt the fact that she was on the show enraged Greg Gutfeld, you know, because why not? Who needs Latino voters? No one. Let's not reach out to a community. It's the largest minority in the United States. Um, you know, let's not, let's not read, let's not, no, no, let's just stick to old white people. That'll, that'll do it. I see, I shouldn't tell them. I should just say, yeah, go ahead, trash this gorgeous woman who came on and made your people look like chumps. Cause she did. If you saw the debate, you know what I'm talking about. She was just like, like radiating light. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> she's amazing. I, I just, so what I did for this podcast and the newsletter, uh, which also exists, sometimes I don't have time to do both, I did for this one, is if you, uh, I didn't pick every single question because this round, this debate, because it was more orderly and people were a little bit better about not screaming over each other and the crowd wasn't um, screaming the whole time, they managed to get out more questions. So it wouldn't have fit in, because Substack, there's like a limit. So I kind of picked the best questions. Um, I picked most of them. It's probably like 80% of the questions. So the first one, <laughs> Classic Fox basically started off with like, everything is terrible. And they literally were like, <laughs> it was like Dana Perino, like everything is falling apart. The, the country's the worst it's ever been. Oh, and by the way, the UAW is striking. And Vivek Ramaswamy had by far my favorite response because I just went, okay then. And he was the craziest person last night by far, um, but he wasn't as out of control as he was on the first because I think um, he he felt he was as much as he got more attention. I think he also dealt with a lot of backlash. So this time he was playing a little bit more carefully, although they all did kind of come for him because if anybody needs to be taken down a peg, it's this man. So again, the question was about the strike with the United Auto Workers. I understand that hardship is not a choice. But victimhood is a choice, and we choose to be victorious in the United States of America. You know what, if I was giving advice to those workers, I would say go picket in front of the White House in Washington, D.C. That's really where the protest needs to be. Disastrous economic policies that have driven up prices, that have driven up interest rates and mortgage rates. At the same time, wages remaining stagnant. What we need is to deliver economic growth in this country. Unlock American energy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear energy, put people back to work by no longer paying them more money to stay at home, stabilize the U.S. dollar itself, and rescind a majority of those unconstitutional federal regulations that are hampering our economy. Now, that was a very amusing answer to me because he was all over the place. He starts off with, go pick at the White House, which makes no sense. And then he just starts talking about drill and fracking and burn coal and ah, and then he's and then he goes on about the Federal Reserve. He sort of hints at that. He gets to that later. And it's it's what are you talking about? I also want to say that he does the same thing that um, Trump does and that they both in, insinuate that somehow the oil and gas industry in the United States is nationalized. And if we are pumping oil out of the ground that's somehow going to benefit U.S. taxpayers or benefit the U.S. Treasury. It does not. <laughs> Chevron or um, Shell Oil, BP, um, ExxonMobil, all of these companies, they make the profits from drilling. They have to pay fees to the federal government for the right to drill, but the vast majority of the wealth goes back to these corporations. It does not go to the American public. And the other issue is we are not the only player in the oil and gas industry, not by far. We are the number one producer of crude oil. We have been since 2013 in terms of countries. 
OPEC, however, is a conglomerate of multiple countries, OPEC plus, I should say, and they can affect the price more than us because they're bigger than us. And if they want to if they want to turn their taps down, they will, and that will also affect the price. Wars affect the price. Bad weather events, natural disasters, all kinds of things that are completely out of our control affect the price of oil. And then there's also this lag, which is what we saw after the pandemic, where you pump oil, but then you got to refine it. And if the refineries can't keep up with demand, the price of gasoline is going to go up. I could go off on this about, about this topic for days. So stop it with the nonsense. Drill, baby, drill is not going to help the unions. And by the way, the reason why these workers are striking is because the three big automakers saw a 92% increase in profits from 2013 to 2022, while the wages for your average worker remained somewhat flat. So that is why they're striking. Yes, they're worried about EV cars as well, but it's not EV cars. I mean, come on. You can't make 92% increased profits and just go, well, you know, we can't give you a raise because, you know, we'll just collapse. Then in the same round of questions, Mike Pence decided he was a comedian. Joe Biden doesn't belong on a picket line. He belongs on the unemployment line. <laughs> Don't quit your day job, Mike Pence. Then we moved on to what are you going to do about the looming government shutdown? And believe it or not, this was kind of exciting because it was the first stab at Trump and it wasn't Chris Christie. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added $7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now. I can tell you this is Governor of Florida. So I think somebody told DeSantis, like, this guy has been gunning for you for months. You're the only candidate he really mentions. He insults you constantly. Fight back. Somebody finally told him to do that. And he's like, oh, OK. I, I mean, I don't think DeSantis is going to go anywhere. But finally, finally, dude, probably should have done that from day one. So this is the next Reagan reference. I'll just let it play. In 1984, President Ronald Reagan said the following. The idea of amnesty for those who have put down roots and who have lived here, even though some time back, uh, they may have entered illegally. So yes, as a quick history lesson, um, Ronald Reagan did give amnesty to about 3 million immigrants who were already in the U.S. and had been here for a while. And they were just, they didn't know what to do. This is why immigration so screwed up. It's been screwed up pretty much since the 80s. Neither party really wants to deal with this. They both kind of shifted around in how to deal with it. And because nobody wants to deal with it, it remains kind of a mess. So this was Chris Christie answering. I'll tell you this, Donald Trump failed on this as well. He said he was going to build a wall across the whole border. He built 52 miles of wall and said Mexico would pay for it. Guess what? I think if Mexico knew that he was only going to build 52 miles, they might have paid for the 52 miles. Thank you. Now, I would never vote for Chris Christie, but I would pay good money to just watch him rip on Trump for like two hours. <laughs> I would just sit back and be like, go. Let me just throw out topics. Just throw out topics and you could just keep talking. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to interrupt. I'm just going to nod my head. Go, really? Great. Okay, so that was Chris Christie. And then we go to absolutely off the scale, like, what are you talking about, Vivek Ramaswamy? I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now, the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. The difference between me and them is I've actually read the 14th Amendment. What it says is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the laws and jurisdiction thereof are citizens. So nobody believes that the kid of a Mexican diplomat in this country enjoys birthright citizenship. Not a judge or legal scholar in this country will disagree with me on that. Well, if the kid of a Mexican diplomat doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship, then neither does the kid of an illegal migrant who broke the law to come here. Vivek Ramaswamy um, absolutely cracks me up because, I mean, he terrifies me at the same time. <laughs> But I don't think he actually has a good shot of winning this. So that's why I find him amusing. But uh, he I'm not going to bash any other politician right now. I'm going to be vague. But there have been politicians in the past that when I see them speak, I have said out loud, I'm known for this. Um, why don't you just promise trips to the moon? Because that's not going to happen. And Vivek Ramaswamy could 
spend 30 seconds, 30 seconds Googling, and he could Google past challenges to birthright citizenship. And he will find that this people have challenged this before and they failed. They failed. So this idea that he, because he makes a lot of wild promises that, that if you just sit back and go, wait a second, how on earth would you be able to do this by yourself without Congress? You can't. You're, and he keeps talking about like changing constitutional amendments, like that's easy. It's, <laughs> they're next to impossible to change. You need two thirds of all states to vote on it. That can take years. I mean, this guy is just out to lunch, um, but humorous in, in a terrifying way. So the next question was basically, how do you feel about China's connections with South and Central America? And again, we go back to Vivek. He, there's a lot of him because he was the wackiest one. When every other CEO expanded into the Chinese market, you know what I did with my first company? We opened a subsidiary in China. But you know what I did that was different than every other company? We got the hell out of there. And when I started my yeah, next right company, Strive, right when, it, no, years ago. right when I started my next company, Strive, to compete against it's BlackRock, excuse me, no, no. to compete against it's BlackRock, I made a commitment that we would never do business in China. And I now, that's the first time Vivek does that, but he does it again, where he basically just says, I have no ethics. <laughs> I have no integrity. Because he basically goes... Yes, I did it, but I wanted something out of it. And you know what? Shouldn't have done it, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> we'll hear this theme again. I mean, he's just so on the surface a fraud in so many ways. Um, I'm not a fan. Any, but I do, again, it's like Carrie Lake. It's like, I find you're so nuts that I find you amusing. Please do not ever get power. Please just remain on the sides. Do not actually have power over people's lives because you're terrifying. So the next question, and this one was this one was rather bleak. If DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is ultimately defeated by the courts, would you seek a solution for people who are part of the program? And I'll briefly explain DACA. That was a program started under Obama where people who came here as children, because, you know, when you're a child, you kind of have to do what your parents tell you to do. So if you came here when you were two, two years old, three years old, and your, your parents were undocumented, you were undocumented, DACA was supposed to be a program that was going to help those people, the people who came here as children, gain citizenship. And in order to do this, they had to kind of come out of the shadows and be like, hi, I came here when I was three, and it made it easier for them to work. It made, them easier, it made it easier for them to go to school, all of that, um, you know, higher education that is college and the whole nine yards but they have to register people in the daca program basically have to let the uh, government know who they are where they are the whole nine yards and it's not the easiest uh situation and uh daca has been challenged in courts for a while and if it does get negated all these people who were basically could have stayed hiding are now out government knows who they are what, what's going to happen to them we're going to deport these people some of them came here literally when they were two years old. We're going to send them back to wherever country they don't remember. They may or may not speak the language from. I mean, that's very depressing. So they, the moderators asked that question, and absolutely no one on that stage answered it. They didn't come close. Nobody even said DACA. Nobody touched it. Very, very bleak. Very depressing. So the next question or series of questions were about crime, and Chris Christie had the best answer. And of course, again, he went right after Trump. And Donald Trump should be here to answer for that, but he's not. And I want to look in that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching, okay? And you're not here tonight, not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's gonna happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. That was sort of the line, one of the lines of the evening. Um, it's been played over and over again on Twitter since then and other social media. And what was funny about that is it was very obviously planned. Like Chris Christie's like, I got it. I got my zinger. That didn't sound spontaneous at all. And obviously his question had nothing to do with crime, but that's where it happened. That happens through every debate. They just answer whatever they want to answer. They don't necessarily correlate it with the question or they'll find a way to just sneak in like, let's talk about healthcare. And they're like, let's talk about healthcare. We need to drill baby drill. Like, oh, what? What? 
teeth? Are we drilling our teeth? I did spontaneously come up with that terrible joke. Don't think I planned that <laughs> because I did not. I'm delirious. I have worked a lot this week. This week's been a bit brutal because I was in Texas, couldn't get back, blah, 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 blah. It's just been nonstop work. Anyway, so we've got the other question, and this was a puzzling answer. That's the way I put it, because it's like, do you study this stuff at all? Do you look up data about it? Do you bother to do any research? I doubt that you do. This was a question about mass shootings. Mike Pence has the answer. Look, I'm someone that believes that justice delayed is justice denied. And as a father of three, as a grandfather of three beautiful little girls, I'm, I am sick and tired of these mass shootings happening in the United States of America. And if I'm president of the United States, I'm going to go to the Congress of the United States and we're going to pass a federal expedited death penalty for anyone involved in a mass shooting so that they, they will meet their fate in months, not years. It is unconscionable. So his answer was very puzzling to me because I thought, is that seriously your solution to this? Because number one, some states already have the death penalty and mass shooters have been executed. But I would say if you look at the actual data and sadly I've had to read about a lot of mass shootings partly due to this job. But one thing that is frequent in mass shootings is that the shooter kills themselves at the end of the shooting or a police officer or FBI or whatever shoots the mass shooter, maybe even a person with a gun who just happens to be there. But the death rate of mass shooters at actual mass shootings is fairly high. Parkland, Uvalde, Vegas, I could just keep going. Uh, fairly high. It's actually kind of rare when they survive unscathed. Um, for school shootings and for younger mass shooters, it's even higher. It's like... Uh, the amount of suicide is sort of baked in to the plan. I'm, I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to kill a bunch of people and I'm going to blow my head off. That's kind of what they say. They openly say it. They openly plan for that. So the idea that like, oh, now we're going to execute you faster. That'll stop them. That's not going to stop them. I have many feelings about what could actually work, but that I just, I don't, I just thought what a useless thing to say. And I, on the newsletter, I included data and a link to the National Institute of Justice that goes through a bunch of mass shootings and another article from the New York Times that did an analysis of 433 active shootings that showed the same pattern. Now, the next one is, uh, this was about fentanyl. And this one was Vivek Ramaswamy sort of <laughs> undermining a huge argument on the right, even though I don't think he realized he was doing that. Building the wall is not enough. They're building cartel-financed tunnels underneath that wall. Semi-trucks can drive through them. We have to use our own military to seal the Swiss cheese of a southern border. But we also have to be honest. So I, I just found that kind of humorous because the wall is such a huge thing that's pushed on Fox News and in right-wing media in general and among conservatives in general, this whole idea of, like, we must build this wall. And then in that very brief clip, uh, Ramaswamy basically says... They're building tunnels underneath it that are so big, you can drive a semi through them. And I kind of question that. I kind of question, really, can you? I don't think you can. I don't think they're doing that. But I think there's probably tunnels under it. Yeah. That big? Maybe not. But so if you're telling me that the drug cartels are building tunnels that are big enough to drive a semi through, why do we need more wall again? Because it obviously isn't working. It's like when Fox shows the clips of the people scaling the wall and they're like, look at them scaling the wall with ease. We need more wall. Maybe, maybe we don't. So after that comment, he made another comment that I was just, again, just what? Okay. Again, does anybody read a book? Do you read a book? Do you read anything other than just the right wing media that you consume? I'm beginning to question if there's any background ever done on anything but this is also Ramaswamy talking about the fentanyl crisis we have to bring back mental health care in this country not with pumping pharmaceuticals but with faith faith-based approaches that restore purpose and meaning in the next generation of Americans I just want to say really quickly when I heard that I just I sort of made a face like what is he talking about and I thought oh, faith-based uh, plans to help people with mental illness that doesn't always sound like the best idea. I mean, I, I get it if 
a person's religion or their faith is a big part of their recovery from addiction or mental illness, of course. But that just seems like you could end up sending money to some nefarious situations and um, also maybe discriminate. Like maybe some people don't want to go to a faith-based. I don't know. I just saw problems, problems, problems when he said that. I just want to give a shout out to my sponsor since I'm uh, like 25 minutes in roughly. Uh, This uh, project, Decoding Fox News, is sponsored and supported by listeners of this podcast and readers of my newsletter. I do not have advertisers. I do not have a large donor that is sort of controlling me or treating me like a puppet in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I am free to report on what I want, what I think is best for my audience, and I don't have any sort of corporate influence or sponsor influence. This is very rare in this uh universe and i'm very very thankful to my sponsors i'm a little worried right now because i'm gonna have to get health insurance again it's a long story i was in grad school and i had it uh, new york state was helping me and then i got grandfathered into another program because of covid that has ended i've been on obamacare before i'm used to this this is sort of what uh, is the normal for me but i don't know how much i'm going to pay yet so <laughs> i'll figure it out i have faith so yeah so if you'd like to become a sponsor for decoding fox news you go to my Substack. Um, my subscription started at $5 a month. That's the lowest one that they had. I also, you can become a sponsor at my Patreon, which is at Decoding Fox News for Patreon. There's a little dollar sign next to my name on Twitter. Those are all ways that you can help. Or if you can't afford it, you can also share this podcast, share my newsletter with friends. That helps tremendously. Give me a good review on wherever you're listening. And thank you so much for listening. Now we'll go back to the debate. Okay, so I can't make this up. I did not plan this. I'm not kidding. The next question in the debate was, should Obamacare be replaced? What about the uninsured? And this was DeSantis. And I'm calling this question creative because it was like, wow, you're all over the place with this one. Open up all of our energy. We will be energy dominant in this country that will lower your gas prices. And what we need to do with health care is recognize our health care is putting patients at the back of the bus. We have big pharma, big insurance, and big government, and we need to tackle that and have more power for the people and the doctor-patient relationship. So that's a big nothing answer. More power to the people and the doctor-patient relationship. What does that even mean? They were calling him out specifically because Florida has a higher rate of uninsured people than most states. Um, And yeah, that's a problem. Nikki Haley had some interesting insights. She pushed for more transparency in the healthcare system, which would help somewhat. But if you can't get insurance, uh, you can't get insurance. I will say that no candidate offered an alternative plan to the ACA or proposed any real solutions on how to improve it or expand care. Huh. We're, this was a how would you fix your schools? Do you support school choice? And we're finally moving on from DeSantis and Vivek and Chris Christie. And we're going to hear from uh, Nikki Haley. We've got to get parents back included. We've got to quit spending time on this DEI and CRT and instead focus on financial literacy, on digital literacy, and on making sure that our kids know what they need to do to have the jobs of the next generation. So I decided to clip that because I thought it was interesting how she worked in CRT and DEI, just sort of folded that into her answer, even though if you're talking about like K through 12, uh, you know, critical race theory is not really taught to little kids. It's a college course. Uh, but, you know, the right has twisted it into this whole, like, philosophy that's being, you know, forced down the, the throats of five-year-olds, which is not whatever. And then DEI would be diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is, again, a, a hot-button issue on the right. But, again, a fifth grader, is there really learning diversity, equity, and inclusion? No, but okay. Next is Chris Christie. He goes right off the rails for our kids. And when you have the President of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers union, there is no chance that you could take the stranglehold away from the teachers union every day. So that some people didn't even understand that comment. Like Ansley Einhart on Fox and Friends, she thought, oh, he's in bed with the unions. That's how she read it. She didn't mean she didn't see that as Jill Biden is a teacher and a member of the teachers union. She didn't. And I'm like, I don't really blame her for not getting that because that comment was 
absolutely bonkers. I was like, what did he just say? I'm like, you're talking about a senior aged woman. You're like, oh, like she seduced her husband or something. They've been married forever. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, I was just like, that was awful what you just said there. Wow. And like, do you really think if he was married to an accountant as a Democrat, he'd have a radically different view of the teachers unions or organized labor in general? Like, he would not. Okay, let's just, this is ridiculous. And now we're going to move on to uh, please defend Florida's black history curriculum. Things are going to get a little, a little spicy. And we're going to hear from DeSantis and then Tim Scott. This new black history curriculum says, quote, slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. You have said slaves develop skills in spite of slavery, not because of it but many are still hurt. For the sentence of slaves, this is personal. What is your message to them? So first of all, that's a hoax that was perpetrated by Kamala Harris. Uh, we are not gonna be Just doing that. Second of all, that was written by descendants of slaves. These are great black history scholars, so we need to stop playing these games. Here's the deal. Our Senator Scott, you oppose, you oppose to these new standards. What is your message for Governor DeSantis? There, there is not there is not a redeeming quality in slavery. He and Kamala should have just taken the one sentence out. I agree with Senator Scott 100% on that. The one thing I would take some issue with, though, is that Kamala Harris, she can't just take that line out because it's not her responsibility. It's not her job. It's She's not, she'd be overstepping her bounds. It's up to DeSantis to do that. He's the governor. It's his state. It's his state's requirements. So, yikes. And uh, the two black scholars that did write that whole program, they're a little, I would say it's fair to say that they have kind of extreme politics. So the next question was about parental consent involving children who identify as trans. And uh, again, not everybody answers these questions. It kind of jumps around. Ramaswamy went right into the bigotry, in my humble opinion. Here we go. And I'm sorry, it is not compassionate to affirm a kid's confusion. That is not compassion, that is cruelty. I met two young women, Chloe and Katie, early in this campaign, who are in their 20s, now regret getting double mastectomies and a hysterectomy. One of them will never have children. And the fact that we allowed that to happen in this country is barbaric. So I will ban genital mutilation or chemical castration okay, under the age of 18. And parents and, and, have absolutely the right. Would you try right. to pass a federal law that says parental Parents should have that right. We are going to require yes. states absolutely okay. have to then follow I want that through. Governor Burgum we stand just to follow for parental rights. Yes. You, we so that's Ramaswamy's opinion. Um, I doesn't align with the mainstream medical community. I'm going to quote. I found this. I'm just going to read it straight from the American Psychological Association. Our country's leading medical and mental health associations support evidence-based clinical care for young transgender people, including the American Medical Association, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, American Academy of Pediatrics, American Counseling Association, American Public Health Association, and APA. Experts say that it is imperative that young transgender people have the opportunity to be under the safe and supportive care of a physician. Further, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, a leading global trans transgender health association, reaffirmed its support for access to gender-affirming care for young transgender people and just last month lowered its recommendation minimum age for gender transition treatment to teens, 14 for hormones, previously 16, and some surgeries at 15 or 17, about a year earlier than prior guidance. So I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not any, I'm no expert of anything medical, but I'm just going to say that that's what the American Psychological Association said and then all of those other groups have said. Uh, so, that's where I'm going to lean towards as opposed to a government bureaucrat just making a decision based on his or her emotions. So, moving on, the next question, which was horribly depressing because nobody answered it, was what are your plans to deal with the increased violence against LGBTQ people? And absolutely no one gave even, they didn't even touch it. Nobody even brought this up. Sometimes what would happen is they'd ask a question the person they asked would dodge it. And then later someone would say, I want to talk about that. Uh, nobody did anything for the LGBTQ question at all. 
Next one was about Ramaswamy and TikTok. And we're going to go back to his whole, like, I have no ethics. So <laughs> here we go. So the answer is I have a radical idea for the Republican Party. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. So when I get into office, I've been very clear. Kids under the age of social, under the age of 16, should not be using addictive social media. We're only going to ever get to declaring independence from China, which I favor, if we actually win. So ahead, on this. this is infuriating because TikTok <laughs> is one of the most dangerous social yeah. media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say hmm. because I can't believe you know, they hear you've Haley got Fine. a TikTok situation. What they're doing is these 150. 50 million people are on TikTok. That means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get just text messages, they can get all of these things. This is China very important for our exactly party. exactly what they're this doing. This is very important for our party, and I'm going to say And what we've seen is you've gone and you've helped China build, make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you are me. now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of no. us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. We so can't trust me, you. That was personally one of my favorite moments of the entire debate. Go Nikki Haley. Uh, shout out. Uh, just because somebody needed to say that. But basically, regardless of how you feel about TikTok, basically, um, I can decode him in 30 seconds. Vivek, Vivek basically says, I think TikTok is evil. I think social media is evil. I'm going to ban it for kids. But I want to win, so I'm going to use it anyway. I have no ethics. I have no integrity. Well, thanks for telling us that, Vivek. Now we know. Next, we're going to move on to Ukraine. And this is a number. Not everybody answered this. Nikki Haley did not get a chance to do an extended answer, but it was very clear throughout various comments she made, like little short things where she would shout over somebody or whatever, that she was very much pro-supporting Ukraine. It's in our interest to end this war, and that's what I will do as president. We are not going to have a blank check. We will not have U.S. troops, and we're going to make the Europeans do what they need to do. But, they should... but it's not a territorial dispute. It's never been a territorial dispute. Our national vital interest is in degrading the Russian military. By degrading the Russian military, we actually keep our homeland safer, we keep our troops at home, and we all understand Article 5 of NATO. We have the reality is we just because, just because Putin is not an, e Putin's an evil dictator does not mean that Ukraine is good. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. A win that has for actually, Russia is a that win is not for true. China. We're driving a win Russia. For Russia excuse is me, a win for China. excuse me, Nick, you'll have but a chance. I forgot you like you'll China. Have, That's no, why you, you're you'll have, you'll have your And we are not going to solve it by going over and cuddling up to Vladimir Putin. Look, Donald Trump said Vladimir Putin was brilliant and a great leader. This is the person who is murdering people in his own country and now not having enough blood, he's now going to Ukraine to murder innocent civilians and kidnap 20,000 children. And let me tell you, if you think that's where it's going to stop, if we give him any of Ukraine, next will be Poland. Right. This is a guy who said, yeah. wait one sec, this is a guy in 1991 oh, who yeah. said that was the darkest moment in world history when the Soviet Union fell. Listen, everybody, he wants to put the old band back together and only America can stop it. Right. And when I'm president, we will. I thought stringing those all together was really interesting because it sort of shows you where the Republican Party is right now at this moment with Ukraine. It's all kind of split and splintered and all over the place. Uh, very, very varied answers on that one. Uh, so next was Mexico says they don't want the U.S. military coming into Mexico to like fight cartels, which I think is wise because I think that's probably going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, Nikki Haley said something. She's normally like the most reasonable person at these debates. But what she says here was just I went what? It, I don't know if anybody even caught it. I caught it immediately and just, just gasped because this is nuts. We're going to go after China because China is the one sending the fentanyl in the first place. And we will end all normal trade relations until China stops sending fentanyl. So that was rather shocking, even though it was a very quick comment. Um, and it's shocking for a number of reasons. So China is one of the largest trading partners with the United States. Shutting down trade would cause disastrous consequences for American manufacturers that rely on Chinese parts and supplies. It's not just widgets that end up in Walmart. 
the entire supply chain is so heavily uh, entrenched with Chinese goods, this would be a meltdown that would make COVID look like the COVID, you know, um, supply chain issues look like a, a, a cakewalk. Um, farmers would also be hit especially hard as the Chinese purchased large amounts of soybeans, corn, cotton, beef, and pork. Last year, U.S. farmers sold $16.4 billion in soybeans to the Chinese. So a total shutdown of all trade, I just would be an absolute and utter fiasco. I don't know if she would even be able to do it without Congress, uh, maybe, uh, if she was president. I just, that, I mean, I know we have a fentanyl crisis. I know it is a problem, but that the solution cannot kill the entire country in order to try to stop this epidemic. Uh, but yeah, I personally, I just, I couldn't believe she actually said that. I was like, she's the, she's the like reasonable one. What did she just say? Um, so next question was about inflation. And this is another wacky one from Vivek Ramaswamy. Put people back to work. We are using taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home than to go to work. That is wrong. That thing, we have to put the Federal Reserve back in its place. This is an agency that has gone rogue. So in January 2026, when I have the opportunity as our next commander in chief, we will have a new chairman of the Federal Reserve who places priority on dollar stability. And then most importantly, send packing 75% of the administrative state, reduce the federal employee headcount by 75%, rescind 50% of unconstitutional federal regulations that are shackling businesses, both large and small. So that's just a bunch of nonsense because you can't just say, I'm going to cut and, you know, he's basically trying to pull an Elon Musk. So who inspects our meat? Who inspects the food? Who, who works at the FDA, USDA? Who, who's, who's inspecting our drugs? Who's making sure that the... Um, you know, power companies are running smoothly. Who makes sure that the railroads are running smoothly? I mean, there's so many ramifications to something that reckless of like, I'm going to fire everybody and we're just going to, you know, get real lean and we'll just make it happen. No, I mean, there's actually reasons why we have a huge bureaucracy. It's because we have a huge country with a huge budget. Also, I want to point out, if you're going to talk about cutting federal spending, the military is the largest, the Department of Defense is the largest employer in the world. And that includes uh, active duty servicemen and women, as well as civilians who work for the Department of Defense or uh, the military in some way, shape or form. So when people start talking about slashing and cutting the government, you're like, do you really mean that? Because I don't think you really mean you're going to slash and burn the military, especially if you're a Republican. But OK, it's just he just says it's like trips to the moon, trips to the moon. And then I also want to point out this idea of we've got to stop paying people to not work. What are you talking about? Now, the pandemic era plans ended in 2021. That was the extended unemployment insurance that the feds were helping, you know, supplement. That all ended two years ago. Uh, unemployment does not pay well. It's based on what you made. It's a percentage of what you made. And then there's a cap. So if you were a person whose salary was, you know, let's go for a crazy high salary. You're making $300,000 a year salary and you get laid off. You probably get a severance package. But let's say you didn't. Let's say you, you didn't get a severance package and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to have to get unemployment. You're going to go to that office and they're going to figure out what your formula is and how much you're going to get. It's not going to be anywhere near what you were making because they have a cap. They have a cap to it. So um, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't even it's like he just repeats that. We have to pay people to get get them back into the workforce. Well, they are. Unemployment's incredibly low right now. So I just, he's just a chaos maker. So now we move on to the curtains. What is the curtains? You'll find out. This is Nikki Haley and Senator um, Scott just going at it over curtains. Can't make this one up. Let's go. As the UN ambassador, you literally Bring it, put $50,000 on <laughs> curtains in a $15 million subsidized location. Next. You got bad information. First of all, I fought the gas tax in South Carolina multiple times against the just establishment. Go to, just go to YouTube. Against the establishment. You, just go to and YouTube you want to know what that 10 cent yep. was? When they wouldn't pass the gas tax, the establishment and the companies wanted me to do it so much that I said the only way I will Here's pass what it is you, have you will give us three. All you have to do is go watch Nikki Haley on YouTube. If you will give me three times the deduction in income tax, then I will look at your gas so tax, you said which yes, is why it didn't happen. Would, 
passed. Secondly, exactly, Ron. Secondly, on the $50 here's, million. Here is a nice part. Secondly, on the uh, curtains, do your yes. homework, Ted, because Obama bought those curtains. Did you send it, them back? It's in the press. Did you send them back? It's the State Department. Did you send them Did back? Did you send them back? You're the one that works in Congress. Oh, my gosh. You get it You done. hung them on your, your, your curtains. I, they your were curtains. there before I even showed up at the residence. You here's, are here's scrapping. A, here's you are a, scrapping. I'm not scrapping. You know Here's a fact. Here's a fact, though. So that was probably the most exciting exchange in the <laughs> in the entire debate. Because one, you didn't really see that coming from Tim Scott. Like, what? Tim Scott? And then two, they're fighting over curtains. And they're fighting over curtains that she had nothing to do with that were already there. They were actually, like, motorized or something. There's a lot more to them than just being curtains. It had, like, a whole system. And they, they were, like, mechanics involved with these things. So, uh... Okay, and you know it's a dull debate when that's the most exciting part of the debate is two people, probably two of the more subdued members of the panel, screaming about curtains. Uh, but that's what we were. I'm going to leave you with the final clip of the evening. Um, they all, at the end, they thought it would be funny, like, who are you going to vote off the island? Dana Perino said that, too. Uh, that was her last question. Who do you want to vote off the island? Meaning, hey, candidates, Tell me who you want to kick off this stage. Who do you, who do you think is shouldn't even bother? And DeSantis wisely said, yeah, I'm not answering that. That's 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 mean. That's stupid. Let's not do that. So the question got changed to um, how can you beat Trump, basically? And they all gave a little bit of an answer. But the best one, of course, was from Chris Christie, the man who absolutely despises Donald J. Trump, even though he used to work for him. And again, I'm no fan of Chris Christie, but I I could watch a whole show of just Chris Christie. I would love to see them debate because that would just that would be entertaining. Um, I don't think Chris Christie has a chance of winning this. But again, it's been entertaining to watch him. So this was his response. Look, I think I've been the only one on the stage who's been clear about this. I vote Donald Trump off the island right now. And the reason I vote him off the island, you will and there were, and, but, any of the, no, of the people no, on the stage you know what? Every person on this stage has shown the respect for Republican voters to come here, to express their views honestly, candidly, and directly, and to take your questions honestly. I have respect for every man and woman on this stage because they've done it. Vivek, put your hand down for a second, would you? Um, I still got, I still got time, dude, so, so chill out. Um, here, look. This guy has not only divided our party, he's divided families all over this country. He's divided friends all over this country. I've spoken to people, and I know everyone else has, who have sat at Thanksgiving dinner or at a birthday party and can't have a conversation right. anymore if Governor, they disagree with Donald Trump. Governor he needs to be voted off the island and he needs to be taken out of this process. So I've been working on this project since February 2022, and I've heard countless stories about people who do not talk to family members who've had parental uh, relations screwed up because one, one or more parents has gotten completely sucked into MAGA and is angry all the time and paranoid all the time, or their sibling or a close friend, a lifelong friend, won't talk to them anymore. And that's tragic and awful and sad. And I don't think that people have tried to say, oh, it's the same on the left. And I'm like, I, you can find extremists on the left, of course. But I, I don't know anybody who gets uh, – I've just not heard those stories. I've not seen it. Uh, you don't see people watching Rachel Maddow and getting so worked up or Chris Hayes or, or uh, Jen Psaki and getting so worked up that they stop talking to family members. Um, most people view, uh, you know, Joe Biden as a flawed individual who is, you know, he is what he is. Uh, I think it's a healthier way to look at politicians because uh, that's ultimately what they are is they're human beings who are flawed. Um, so that was a nice ending, though, uh, for Chris Christie. Again, it's just I don't think anybody on that stage has enough charisma to pull this off. And I think that, unfortunately, there's a huge section of the Republican base that's just completely dedicated to Trump no matter what he does, no matter what he says. And it's disturbing, and we have to beat him. I don't care. This is where I don't show any objectivity whatsoever. After January 6th, the man tried to overthrow our government. I don't care. He's a criminal. He needs to be stopped. The, the amount of lies he's made about that one event is absolutely staggering. So, um, I ooh, I forgot. I should say this really quickly. I did make a graph for the words used during the second GOP Fox debate. I didn't separate anybody, so this is the whole debate. This is the moderators and the people on the panel. 
Very interesting. China Chinese topped the list at 57. Biden, 39. Reagan, 27. Energy, 26. Trump, 20. Russia or Russian, 18. Crime, 14. Education, 14. Ukraine, 10. Fentanyl, 10. Migrant, 8. Inflation, 7. Latino, 4. Abortion, only 3. Hunter, twice. And LGBTQ, only once. And it was only because it was in that question, which again, kind of horrible that they didn't answer that. I just want to mention very quickly that I included a, a link in the newsletter to factcheck.org, which includes an entire detailed um, uh, debunking and fact-checking of every single lie and mistruth that was in the debate. I couldn't fit it all in into the newsletter, but I wanted to include that resource. So if anybody wants to check that out, factcheck.org is one of my favorites. I use that resource and that source all the time. So thank you so much for listening um, to this podcast. Again, if you'd like to become a sponsor of Decoding Fox News, you can go to my Substack. Um, you can go to my Patreon. Uh, there's a dollar sign next to my name on Twitter. I'm also in Threads. Threads is really happening lately. I'm really excited about Threads. My cats, Odin and Thor, would love to send their love. Odin is currently on my lap. I'm kind of patching this in at the end here. I might sound a little different than I did for the rest of the recording. I'm in a different setup. I forgot to do the, the graph that I spent so much time on. So I was like, wait a second. I got to go fix my ending. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you at the next podcast. 